Now, I've, I've noticed travelling around on buses and on the tube in London that there are, whether, whether TfL are getting short of advertising, I don't know, but they are putting up their own adverts with such instructions such as be kind and be patient with others. And at times I ask myself the question, well, why is this necessary to put these adverts up? And maybe, sadly, it's needed if people do not learn how to be kind or to be patient. It seems strange because we live in a culture where, in spite of whatever other problems we see, people still admire signs of kindness, where people uh, look uh, out for others. Um, There were photos posted online, for instance, of a steward at a football match who saw uh, one fan there, uh, an older man who was clearly shivering in the cold, and he gave him his coat. Um, There was another time when, uh, at at a football match, the footballer Danny Ings uh, was accompanying a mascot who clearly had autism, he was wearing his ear defenders, and... Danny Ings himself was wearing ear defenders as he was going on the pitch with him. And we can, we can consider how encouraging and kind and thoughtful that was of him to act like that, to, to show his oneness with um, that young fan. And we admire this kind of kindness that we see around us, but we still need to be told to be kind, to be patient with others. But this isn't just advice needed on crowded tubes or buses where uh, busy commuters can easily forget, perhaps, the needs of others. It's also something that is needed to be heard in the church as well. And it's perhaps no accident that it is in this letter that the Apostle Paul has instructions to the church Admittedly, it was a young church. He had only been there for a matter of weeks, it would seem, before he had to leave it behind. And perhaps in that rush that there were, amongst other things, Paul sees the need to remind them of gentleness and kindness. And in this, what may seem to be apparently random series of instructions at the end, in fact, I can't help but notice in the ESV, Uh, where the translator virtually gives up on trying to find a theme because you just get final instructions here. And it can seem this is just like a random list of instructions that have been thrown out. Perhaps, though, there's another way of looking at these verses here than just seeing them as a random collection of sayings. I'm led to believe that before they take to the sky a pilot of, of... an an amateur pilot here rather than I'm thinking of than an airline pilot, needs to go through a fairly detailed and comprehensive checklist of several things that they need to check on the plane before they fly. Um, We actually had a mature student from the uh, US a few years ago, and she said her father, who is still in his 80s, is still flying. He's an amateur um, aviator, whatever the word is, um, over there. And a reason he is still flying at his age is because he rigorously, every time before he flies, goes through his checklist. You know, well, that's the propeller, well, that's the rudder, the wheels. He has to go through every part and to check it off. And perhaps, maybe, that is what we need to do as we look through this list of 
final instructions, as it's called in our Bible, that Paul is giving here to the Thessalonians. Maybe it might make the difference between a church that flies and a church that crashes, if we can be so bold as to use that uh, thought. And to focus our thoughts, we'll start to think at verse 11, and perhaps one of the best known of these instructions, where Paul says, therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Here he's concluding the instruction he's been given about the day of the Lord, but also um, taking, beginning to give this series of instructions as he concludes his letter. <clears throat> but this seems to be an excellent summary of what should be our natural stance towards one another in the church. When we enter a church gathering, or when we visit or see or text or phone another person in the church, is it our natural stance, or maybe the natural question to ask ourselves, how can I encourage this brother, this sister? How can I build up this brother or this sister? As I enter this gathering, how can I encourage those who I'm going to sit next to or talk to? How can we urge one another towards greater Christ-likeness rather than discourage, rather than turning them towards themselves, turning them away from the Lord Jesus? <clears throat> so with this in mind, we're going to look at just the first few verses of these instructions, just as uh, up to about verse 14, 15. And we're going to see why we build each other up, what building each other up involves, and then how we build each other up. So why we build each other up, what building each other up involves, and then how we build each other up. So, first of all, why should we build one another up? Briefly, let's look back to the first chapter of this letter. Paul has visited this city in Macedonia, in what we would call northern Greece now. Thessalonica, again from the accounting acts, it seems to have been he was there just for a matter of weeks. But what was the response to his preaching? Paul describes in this letter, verse 5, chapter 1, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. They accepted the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what difference did that make? He goes on to say in verse 9, For they themselves, speaking of the reports that he had heard from others, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who deliver us from the wrath to come. So the first reason why we build one another up is because we have a new Lord. We're no longer dominated by the idols of this world. As we were thinking this morning, the idols we have may be very different to those of Paul's readers, or those in, uh, in the, that, those days in the Greek 
Empire. But we, like them, have a new Lord. We no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live for money, for our careers. We live for Jesus. We live for God's loving Son. We are now transformed by the Holy Spirit. We enjoy the grace of God the Father. That is why we build one another up, because we have a new Lord. Rather than being drawn back to those idols, we need to be encouraging one another to stick with our new Lord, to follow him and exalt him. The second reason why we build each other up is that we have a new hope. In that passage that we read from chapter 5, Paul reminds them that they now have a new stance, a new way of looking at the future. And he reminds them in verse 5 of chapter 5 that where he's, he's drawing this comparison about being those who are of the day rather than of the night. The night being those who belong to the present age, this age that is passing away. He says, no, we are children of the day, as he says in verse 5. We are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. We belong to the new age that is coming and will be fully um, manifested when our Lord Jesus returns. We are children of day, not of darkness. We belong to that new day. So that means we need to have an orientation away from the things that focus on today and have a hope that is looking forward to the coming of our Lord Jesus. We don't put our hopes in our careers, our qualifications, or our retirement funds. Rather, we live with a new Lord who has given us a new hope. We have a hope that will never change in the face of health problems, in the face of rising prices. But we still need one another. We still need one another to encourage each other, to build one another up, to follow our Lord, to follow our Lord Jesus and hold on to the new hope we have as children of the day awaiting his, his appearing. So that's why we build each other up. We have a new Lord and we have a new hope. But what does building each other up involve? And with this, we return to those final instructions. And the first actually involves our leaders. We honour our leaders with love. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be it peace among yourselves. Paul here, in summary, is saying we need to honour our leaders with love. The first thing he's saying is to respect or to recognise, depending on your translation, those who labour among you, those who are over you, or in some translations, those who care for you. In other words, we recognise the role of our leaders, and particularly here of your elders. Their role, we were thinking of this again this morning, is to equip the church for the work of ministry. Their role is not to do everything in the church by themselves. Their role is to equip the church for the work of ministry. Uh, Ephesians 4, again, I'll just read it briefly. 
second time, but it'd still be good to hear it. Ephesians 4 verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and shepherds and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up, there is that word again, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So the role of the elder, the role of a leader in a church is to teach, is to train, to equip, to build up the body. And so the body builds itself up, to put it like that. So recognising that role of your leaders. But notice he goes on to, um, that their role includes... They are are those who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And Paul perhaps had a bit of a British streak in him in as much as that when he says esteem them, it's probably another way of saying pay them well. He doesn't want to maybe mention money explicitly, but there is that sense that your leaders should at least be paid adequately. But of course, it goes beyond that. It's, it's esteeming them highly in love. And therefore, if we love our leaders, we need to check on their circumstances, how they are doing, commend them for their efforts, and encourage them in what they are doing. But also, it, you notice, I've maybe skipped over a verb there. They are those who admonish you. There will be times when all of us will need to be corrected. Unless we want to claim to be perfect, all of us will have times when we need to be corrected. And it is the role of elders before God to teach God's word, to exhort you and admonish you with God's word. And as I said before began um, the message this morning, if the teaching which is brought is from God's word, then you are required before God to submit to it. If the teaching is not from God's word, you are not. But that is the thing that you should be submitting to. That is the role of your leaders, that they are to teach you God's word, and your role is to obey. If you're unsure whether what they're teaching is actually in God's word, then you ask them, you, you question them about it. Ask for clarification. Don't jump uh, to condemn. But at the very least, query it, question them about it. However, there's one more instruction that Paul gives under this. Be at peace among yourselves. One of the best ways of honouring your leaders is by being at peace with one another. Rather than descending into fruitless quarrels, sadly, as can happen in church life, we need to know what it is to speak in a measured way to one another. Maybe assessing what we say. Is it worth saying? Is it the right thing to say? And the need for thought. We need to pursue peace, which is not easy in an age where Many of us live in a society where, you, um, where conflict is frankly encouraged, not least, again, in our old friend social media. 
No, we need to be, create in the church a place that, where people pursue peace, where we seek to overcome misunderstandings, to overcome our own prejudices, our own um, skewed ways of thinking, and seek to understand one another. We pursue peace. And then we need to show patience with everyone. Now we'll see a bit more about what is involved in this. In verse 14 we read, We urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And indeed it's from this that I've given the title for this evening's message, A Patient Build-Up. And it seems to undergird so much of what Paul is saying here is the need to be patient with all. In seeking to build one another up, we need great patience. And the word patience here has the sense of being, if, if you are someone who gets angry quickly, you are short-tempered. But the word here means long-tempered. You, in your relationships with others, know how to control your anger and your temper. In dealing with people, not least with one another in the church, we might need to be long-tempered, or we might say long-suffering. In other words, we need to be patient. I still remember in my early days when we were in Thamesmead, in, uh, before we, this was way back in the late 90s, and we were serving with um, our, our pastor there, Robin Dowling, now, now in glory. And I can remember a situation where I was, I was almost like ranting <laughs> and telling him about, oh, we need, some, we need this to change. This, what's going on here is not very good. What can we be doing to make this situation different? And I just remember him patiently saying, no, we stick to proclaiming the good news. We stick to loving people and we leave it in God's hands. And it was something that I really had to learn as, as a young apprentice pastor, was patience. That we need to be patient. I needed to learn patience then. Uh, I was trying to see change in two years. We needed to wait much, much longer. And so it is with us. We need to be patient with one another. Not least if we see uh, the, the need for others to change. So we've seen why we build one another up. We've seen what building each other up involves, that it's, it's about honouring our leaders, it's about uh, practising patience. But finally, how do we build each other up? I wonder how you would ask that. It's all very well being told we're to encourage one another, we're to build one another up. But what does that actually mean to do that? Well, can I suggest to you that if Paul is writing this letter to this young church, and basically all the instru Christian instruction they have is what Paul fitted into a, a very busy, short few weeks, and then they have this letter, it appears that most of them were for, converted as we've seen from idols, so they're from a Gentile background, whether they even had access to the Old Testament is, is difficult to know. 
But I suspect that what Paul meant is remind each other of the good news that you have received. In other words, remind one another that you have a better Lord than the idols that you followed. Remind one another that you have a better hope than that which the world around you has. But the way in which we convey that is going to depend, and we need to learn to be sensitive to what is needed in each other. And with this, let's look at verse 14, where Paul has three distinct groups in mind. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, or unruly, that is in some versions, I think that's in our footnote, undisciplined. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. So first of all, there will be times when we all will need to be admonished. We've already seen how that is the role, at least one of the roles, of our leaders, is to admonish us, is to draw attention to correcting us. But notice that Paul does not say that's the job of the leaders alone. We're to admonish one another. There are times where we need to correct one another. But bearing in mind what he said about the need to be patient with them all. We can see here that there's a need to strive not to give offence, but also not to take offence. After all, there will be times when we will all need correction. Now, at times I wonder, why do we struggle to do this well as Christians? In my experience, we tend to fall one side or another. Either we don't tell the Either we don't tell people the truth, we see that something needs to be corrected, but, but we're, we're, well, you might say cowardly. We, we don't want the confrontation. So we don't. We don't tell people the truth. Or we do, but we fail to do it in a loving way. And on the other hand, when we receive that kind of correction we often don't receive it well. We prefer to take offence or to find fault in our critic. Uh, it's remarkable how the verse, doesn't it say, do not judge, can often get, be quoted by those who are being corrected. Now, we need to see that we need one another to correct one another in light of God's word. And we all need to learn humble hearts to receive that correction when it is necessary. Again, correction from God's word. So admonish the idol. The second thing, though, second way in which we can build one another up, encourage the faint-hearted. I'm sure at any point among us, there are going to be those who are troubled or depressed or anxious. And... How can we do this well? Perhaps one way is first to admit to our own weaknesses. I certainly know in my own experience when I've struggled with my own mental health is that knowing that there are other people who are going through the sort of experience that you're going through is itself an enormous help. That is often far better than having someone who gives you a list of things about, oh, have you tried this? Have you tried that? A A list of solutions to your problem. No, what we need is a sympathetic uh, ear, someone who is willing to listen 
and someone who helps us to fix our eyes on the hope that is in Jesus. We need to encourage the faint-hearted. Paul doesn't say we're there to solve everybody's problems. We are there to encourage the faint-hearted, to help them to fix their eyes on Jesus. And then we're to help the weak. Now, this is a really very general term. Paul doesn't specify what kind of weakness he is referring to. It could be spiritual weakness, people who lack understanding, people maybe who face and perhaps fall easily into temptations. It may be physically weak, those who are sick, those who are older, maybe those who are poor. Such people may well just need very practical help from us where it's our hands to to literally help them up, our feet to run errands for them, to to serve them, do the shopping for them, or again, maybe they just need our ears to sit and listen to them and listen to what their issues are. But in all these ways, we can encourage one another with the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. And... Also to remember that any of us can fall into these categories at different points in our lives. And if we think of how we would want to be treated, how much uh, that, that informs the way that we help others. To conclude then, we've seen here that Paul is showing these younger believers in Thessalonica how to encourage one another, how to build one another up. And we've seen that whether in speech, whether in our actions, all these situations should reflect the gospel. As Paul says elsewhere, God showed such patience with us as sinners. Paul marvels at the patience that Jesus Christ showed him in even though that he was, as he puts it, the chief of sinners, yet... He chose me as an apostle, he says. If God put up with so much sin from us, if God realises and knows very well just how weak we are, then how much more do we need to be patient with one another and to seek to build one another up, to help each other turn away from sin and to seek help from him in our weakness? If God gave his own son to die on the cross for our sins, if God gave his son to die, to rise and bring us life, do we need to show more patience with one another? Do we need to suffer long with others who need it? As we do so, we are children of the day. We are looking forward to the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ and following him as our new Lord. Let's build each other up with love and patience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift of one another, the gift of your people. We confess, Father, that we do not live as we should, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we too often are are too like the world around us. If anything, the world often shames us by the goodness of their lives compared to our own. 
And Father, we pray that you would help us this evening to reflect on how we can encourage one another and build each other up. We pray that you would give us great patience with one another to keep the glory of our Lord Jesus in mind and to look forward as children of the day to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.